Um, And today, we are kicking off a brand new sermon series called You Asked For It. And this sermon series is based on questions that you've submitted uh, through text message, in the offering plate, online. We even ran some Facebook ads to people who live in this immediate area and said to people in our community, hey, what are your questions? Come. We'd love to talk about them with you. And so what we've done is we've received all the answers, and I've begun grouping them together in different themes. And each week, we're going to take a look at a different one and try to answer it together. And as we answer these questions, we're going to be looking at a few different sources for answers. First and foremost, we're going to be looking at uh, God's revealed word to us, Holy Scripture, and reflecting on that together. We're also going to be looking at church tradition and how Christians have thought about these things for the last 2,000 years. We're also going to be using you know, our reason and logic and you know, my experiences and your experiences as well. And my hope is that even if the question isn't the question that you submitted, that it will be helpful and that it will be insightful for you. And now the name of the series is You Asked For It. And I don't know how many of you, anybody in here ever seen the show on TV called You Asked For It? Um, it is a very old show. <laughs> it's a very old show, debuted in the 1950s. It debuted in the 1950s, and it was basically a show that it, it kind of peaked in the 50s, and then they tried to do a resurgence in the 70s and the 80s and the 2000s, and it never quite took off. But the premise of the show was that they wanted people to write on postcards things that they wanted to see on live television, and then they all mailed them to the studio, and then the studio helped try and make it happen. And so you can imagine, I mean, people were trying to send in some crazy stuff so that they could see it on live TV. Um, You know, on YouTube, you can see old episodes, and one of them, somebody has an apple on their head, and somebody shoots it off with a bow and arrow, you know, the 1950s, on live TV. And then another I thought was cool was, somebody said, I've heard of this thing called a bulletproof vest. And this is before they were very popular, and so on the show, they had somebody wear a bulletproof vest, and then somebody stood in front of them with a gun and shot them on live TV. You know, it's kind of extreme for the 1950s. Um, But one of my favorite clips is one we have here. When somebody wrote in and said, I love wrestling, and I heard that there is a wrestling chimpanzee. And um, they said, I want to see somebody wrestle the chimpanzee. So you can see on TV, on the show, they had somebody wrestling the chimpanzee. It's pre- I mean, it's pretty fun to watch, actually. This guy's getting it handed to him. Um, and so on this show, they did all sorts of crazy stuff like this. And some of the stuff was, was very fun and lighthearted. Some of the stuff on the show uh, was kind of challenging and a little bit dangerous. And all of them, you know, people tried to do these things with a bit of humility, like the guy wrestling the chimpanzee, because a lot of the stuff had never really been done before. And so as we kick off this series called You Asked For It, that's kind of how this series is going to be for us. Some of the questions uh, might be a, a little fun, a little more lighthearted and practical for our lives. Other questions are going to be bigger ones, maybe a little bit more challenging. But in all of these questions, my hope is that as I'm trying to answer them, uh, that I would do so with a spirit of humility, acknowledging that I don't know everything, that, that I get things wrong, that um, not every question has a great or a satisfying answer, um, and that at times you, you might even disagree with the answer that I give, and that's okay. We're going to approach these together and explore them together. And so if that sounds okay with you, we're going to look at today's question, a question that has been asked since the beginning of time, 
a question that has caused wars, that has caused a lot of fighting, a question that people have been wrestling with forever, and that question is this. What is God? It's a big one. What is God? I thought we'd start with that question because it's really a foundational question, especially for a church because, I mean, we were just singing praise to the Lord our God. When we give in church, we talk about giving to the mission of of God. When when we come here in, in church, we talk about God a lot. And in our culture, Actually, people talk about God a lot. You see, God bless America. When Americans are polled, usually around 80% of people say they believe in God. But where things get interesting is when you start drilling down and asking people to describe the type of God that they believe in. And when you begin asking people, hey, tell me about the God that you believe in, you quickly find that even though a lot of us talk about God and a lot of us believe in God, we're not always talking or thinking about the same thing. And so, this is a good question to start off with. It's a good question to start off with, but it's also a very daunting question to start off with because talking and thinking about God, I mean, that's a very big and broad category. And there's one writer, his name is Dan DeHaan, and he said that when we begin to try and answer this question, it's kind of like a boy who lived near a creek and grew up with the creek. Every day, He would go in his backyard and he would explore that creek a little bit. And over time, he came to know the creek very well. And as he got older, his parents let him explore the creek a little bit further. And so he kept walking and he would come to know where it turned and where the water pulled up. And then as he got even older, he began following it further out day after day. He knew the way it turned and he found that it eventually became a river. And so he would follow that river. And he knew that river inside and out. And then one day, he looked up and he saw the ocean. That's how it is when we start trying to think about God and talk about God. It is a big thing. As St. Aquinas once said, the person who knows God best is the one who recognizes that whatever they think or say falls short of what God really is. So thinking about this question, what is God, it's a big one, it's a challenging one. But thankfully as Christians, when we're thinking about this question, what is God, we don't have to start with our own imaginations or our own explanations or our own projections about who God is. We can start with God. And we can start with God because God has chosen to reveal himself to us. God has chosen to reveal himself to us through words and through actions throughout history. And the primary resource for knowing God's words and God's actions is God's revelation to us, his holy word. And a lot of us, when we think about the Bible, I mean, we we have it on a shelf with other books, and sometimes we can think it's, it's just like every other book. But the Bible is not just like every other book. The Bible is actually a library. I don't know if you knew this. It's a library. It's a collection of 66 books written by many different authors over a long span of time. It's full of many different genres. 
But the Bible is different than any other book and it's different than any other library because God has inspired the writers who wrote this. God inspired the people who compiled it together. And God did all of that so that we might know more about God and so that we might have a relationship with God. And so when we open up the Bible, sometimes we see God speaking directly to people like Moses and through the prophets. Sometimes we see stories of how God has acted through history, but they all begin to give us a picture and help us answer the question, what is God? And so because this is is such a a big thing, I've tried to kind of boil it down into four summarizing statements for you this morning. And so if you have your bulletin, you can open it up and you'll see some fill in the blanks there and they're gonna be on the screen behind me in just a moment. And I invite you to take notes, fill in those blanks and take this home because inside your sermon notes are some scripture references. We're not gonna look at all the references this morning, but I hope as you study God, as you spend time with God, that you'll take some time, read these and reflect on your own. And so the very first thing I want you to know about God is this. God is powerful and God is personal. When we look in the Bible, we find a God that is above, beyond, and independent of all things. A God who transcends all creation. A God who is all-knowing. A God who is all-powerful. A God who is in some terms, omniscient, omnipresent, all these big terms. But I think Isaiah, when God speaks in Isaiah, he sums it up well. He says this, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is revealing to us here that he is beyond, that he can't be contained. God, we'll find, can't be fully explained because God is God. God is eternal. God has no beginning and no end. God is holy. God is perfect. God, in theological terms, you might say, is transcendent. He is big. He is powerful. You might know it from that old blessing if you learned this one growing up. God is great and God is good. That's The first thing I want you to know, that's the God we worship. And now, here's the thing. A lot of people, if you said, hey, do you believe in God? They would say, well, yeah, you know, God is powerful. God knows everything. God can see everything. A lot of people would kind of agree with that general description of God. But where Christianity begins to differ is that we believe that God is not only powerful, we believe that God is also personal. We believe that God is not only transcendent, but that God is also imminent, that God is with us, that God has come near to us, his creation, and that God cares about each and every one of us. And if you were with us last week, we actually talked about this in detail when we looked at Psalm 139. And we talked about how God knows everything. God sees everything. He formed us in our mother's wombs. He knows us. And he also wants a relationship, a personal relationship with each of us. God is not only the creator of everything, but God cares about his creation. God is both powerful and personal. And at the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we see these two things at work. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read this, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
So here we see an image of how powerful God is. That God, who has no beginning, created everything in the heavens and the earth. But then we go to chapter 3 and we read this. That then the man and his wife that God created heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And so here we we see that this is the God who created humanity as the pinnacle of creation. And then God is talking to humanity. God wants a relationship with us. God comes near to us. That's the God that when Christians talk about God, that's the God we're talking about. C.S. Lewis once said it this way, God is both further from us and nearer to us than any other being. God is both powerful and God is personal. And as God has come near to us and revealed himself to us through his word and to us personally, one of the things that we discover is that God has existed for all time, that God is eternal, that there is only one God, but that God exists as three persons. In other words, God is also Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now maybe you've heard Christians talk about this. This is what we call the Trinity. And this doctrine of the church that that God is three in one helps explain why usually when in the church we talk about God, we we don't often talk about what God is, but instead we talk about who God is. Because God has chosen to relate to us personally through the three persons of the Trinity. And now when we talk about persons, language often fails us when we're talking about God, but we're using the language of persons, and it's not that that God is like a a person who's a lot bigger than us, like an old white man with a beard sitting on a throne in heaven. Some of y'all have that mind, that that image of God in your head. God, we find in Scripture, is not a man. God is spirit. But the reason we use gendered language and we talk about God and himself is because God has chosen to reveal himself as father as a way of relating to us personally. And and these terms, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they help illustrate that at the heart of God is loving relationships between these three persons. And now I know this is a very big theological concept. People have talked about this, debated this for a long time. There's a lot of analogies to try and understand it, but I want to give you an analogy this morning that might be helpful. So Jody, will you come up, will you come up for us? Jody is on our keys a lot, um, doing a wonderful job in worship. And uh, y'all might not know, but I used to, I used to be a musician uh, back in the day when I was young, and I used to play the French horn so, and the piano, and, and so I know a little bit about scale. So will you play a C for us? Okay, will you play an E for us? Will you play a G for us? Okay, so I want you to hear those sounds. Those are three distinct notes, right? A C, an E, and a G. So now I want you to play them together. Okay, so now you have the three distinct notes, but there's also a oneness as Jody plays the chord. Okay, you can give a round of applause. That's it. Thank you. Um, That's a very simplistic way of trying to illustrate the the bigness of God. And the God we worship is three in one. I mean, the, the analogy breaks down because the chord has a beginning and an end, but our God has no beginning and our God has no end 
as well. And while the word, if you look in the Bible, if like if you look in a concordance, you try to find the word Trinity, you're not going to find it in the Bible if you go and look, just to let you know. But throughout the New Testament particularly, we find the building blocks as God is beginning to reveal himself to us, to reveal that he exists as this three-in-one God. And so we find this in places like at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. So notice here, you have Jesus, the Son, you have God, the Father, who is speaking, and you have the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. You have all three persons at play here in this image. And then later when Jesus was giving some of his final words to people here on earth before he ascended into heaven, he said, go, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit because the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all seeking a relationship with us. They're all desiring to draw close to us. And why is God doing this? God is doing this because God is love. God is love. 1 John 4, 8 says this. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Would you say that with me? God is love. God is many things. God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. God is powerful. God is good. But I think the most important thing that we can say about God is that God is love. Because this helps us really understand the heart of God and what God is up to in the world. We'll go back a slide. So when we think about God being love, I want to take us back to the very beginning. Back to the very beginning of creation, because the Holy Trinity has existed for all time in these relationships of love. And out of the overflow of that love, God created the world. God didn't have to create the world. God created the world out of love. And at the pinnacle of creation was us, humanity. And God said, I want a loving relationship. I want a real loving relationship with these people. So in the beginning, God created and God, God set out some guidelines. He said, look, I'm your creator. I want you to do this and not do this. And we find early on in Genesis that Adam and Eve and, and really all of us since have said to God, God, thank you for creating us, but we got this on our own. We're good. We don't need you anymore. Thank you. And so they were disobedient. They turned their back on God and they said, you know what? We know what's best for ourselves. And because of that, brokenness entered into our world. Sin entered into our world. Because of their disobedience, they were deserving of punishment. And that punishment, God said, was death. Death in their relationship with God and literal death. And as God looked down and he saw us, the pinnacle of his creation, rebelling against him, it broke God's heart. And God said, you know, I still want a relationship with these people. 
And God knew that, that us being his creatures who broke the relationship, he knew that, that there's nothing we could do to repair that relationship on our own. And so God said, I'm gonna do something about it. And so God formed the people of Israel to be a light to the world. And then in the fullness of time, God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, out of love so that that relationship could be restored, so that we could experience restoration and rescue from our punishment. And so God entered into this world in the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus was fully God and fully human. And Jesus, being God, was perfect. He did no wrong. He never sinned. He was full of love and compassion for people. And when you read the Gospels about Jesus' life, you find him going, serving other people, teaching them about God and about God's kingdom, healing other people. And ultimately, we find Jesus dying on a cross. We find him suffering, bearing the weight of the sin of the world, and we find him dying, experiencing death. But the story doesn't end because on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, conquering death, making a pathway so that we, you and I, could once again have our relationship restored with him. And we find in the Bible that the way to receive that gift of restoration and the way to receive that loving relationship once again with God is through repentance and through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we do those things, the Holy Spirit draws us together in relationship with God. A loving relationship, once again, like we were created to experience. You see, God is love. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is both powerful and God is personal. But I, I know this sermon is trending more heady and kind of theological and bigger picture than a lot of the sermons that I preach. And so what I want you to know this morning, if you forget everything else or you feel like a lot of these concepts are big or new for you, I just want you to remember this one thing this morning, that if you're not sure about who God is or what God is like, I just want you to know this, that God is just like Jesus. If you don't remember anything else, just remember that God is just like Jesus. Jesus said it himself in John chapter 14, verse 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Paul, echoing this in Colossians, says this. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. And so if you're wondering what God is like, who the God we serve is, who the God we worship is, all you have to do is look to Jesus. And this is extremely helpful because whether you realize it or not, although we were created in the image of God, a lot of times we create God in our own image. And, and we project our own past experiences and, and our own thoughts that we've picked up from culture along the way, we project those onto God, and that's how we begin to view God. And sometimes that's actually helpful for us, but sometimes it's harmful for us. And some of you, you might not know this, but when I was in seminary, I was an intern at Peachtree Road Methodist Church in the heart of Buckhead. Beautiful church there in the heart of the city. And one of my jobs as an intern was to, to show up each day and to, to work with people who came for, for outreach, people experiencing homeless in Atlanta, homelessness in Atlanta 
so that they could receive assistance and help. And so every day I'd meet with different people. And one day I pulled up to the office and there was a guy who was sitting on the bench waiting. This guy, I found out his name was Daniel and we, we did what I always do. Went into a conference room and began to listen to his story. And Daniel told me that he had been waiting there for hours that morning and that he had walked many, many miles to get to the church to receive some help that day. So I began to ask Daniel, you know, what was going on in his life? And he told me that he had recently um, lost his job. He lost his home. He lost his family. His family went up to Chicago to be with people who could help take care of them. He had PTSD. And he was really on his own on the streets. So I began talking with him, hearing his life story. And as he was narrating his life, he said, you know, all these terrible things keep happening to me. And I think it's because God is cursing me. God hates me. I said, why, why do you think that? He said, well, I was, in, I was in the Gulf War in combat. And many years ago, I, I shot somebody and I killed them. And that's haunted me ever since. And I've talked to God a lot about it. I've tried to think through it. I pray to God. I desperately want a relationship with God, but I feel like he's punishing me. He's making me miserable and he hates me. And I don't remember exactly what I said to Daniel that day. I mean, I know I did what we always do. We gave them a gift card for Marta. We gave them a sack lunch listened to him. I prayed for him. I think I gave him a word of hope. But if I were able to go back in time and talk with Daniel again, I think I'd say to him, Daniel, I hear you. And I want you to know that God is just like Jesus. That God humbled himself left heaven and came into this world in the person of Jesus. He experienced homelessness so that he could have a relationship with you and with me. God is just like Jesus. Everyone he encountered, he wanted them to experience life and life abundant. God is just like Jesus. He loved spending time with people who felt far from God and who felt cursed by God. I think I'd tell him, God is just like Jesus. He suffered on the cross so that we could experience that restoration and the love of God once again. God is just like Jesus. Nothing, not even death, can stop his purposes in this world. I think I'd probably just say, Daniel, God is just like Jesus. He cares for you. And he loves you. I didn't say any of that at the time, and I, I can't go back, and I don't know where Daniel is right now. But that's the good news that I want to give you this morning. That no matter what preconceived notions you have about God, God is just like Jesus. And he loves you, and he cares for you. Let's pray.